Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loris College. Loris College just celebrated its 182nd commencement ceremony as it honored the class of 2021 for earning their degrees. 2009 alumnus Nathaniel Gee delivered the keynote speech at the event, and he joins us on the podcast to reflect on the experience. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and I'm pleased to welcome Nathaniel to the Dewhawk Digest. Danny, welcome. Thank you so much. It's it's really a pleasure and a joy to be here with you today. Well, and we mentioned commencement to start off with. You give a, a really tremendous speech. It was very introspective, but also very inspirational. I know it was very well received, so congratulations on a great speech. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it really means a lot uh, in, in a big way, and, and uh, the warm response of others especially. Uh, you never know. I didn't know how exactly how it was going to go and there's a lot of nerves uh building up uh into the both in the preparation uh until the delivery and uh yeah I, I i can't even begin to express what an honor it was to be a part of uh, the graduating class and celebrating them of 2021 um to be able to uh, be able to give a have the opportunity to give a speech uh on that platform and um I, I hope that I, I did it service, so I appreciate appreciate your kind words. Well, I think you definitely did, and we, we'll dig into that a little bit later sure. on in our conversation. But first, I want to talk a little bit about your time at Loris. Now, in your speech, you talked about uh, kind of look back at what brought you here, kind of what yeah. that what that experience was like. So, talk to me a little bit about that first day on campus, yeah, and then, <laughs> and how you really transformed from day one and through your graduation. What was what was what was that? What was your mindset that first day? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting, you know, when I look back because, you know, as I alluded to in my, in, in my speech that I gave, uh, I wanted nothing to do with Loris, you know, when I first heard about it, I had, well, first of all, I'd never heard about it. And, uh, you know, so when I got letters or a little information, I just had no idea what an incredible place it was until I actually got on campus. Um, you want to know my, how I was feeling when I first walked on as a student or my first visit? A little bit of both. Let's see. What was okay. that visit? What was that first visit? Like, especially knowing like I don't yeah. what is this place yeah. when you know. So my first visit, um, you know, I was a little skeptical. You know, I was looking at some the potential bigger schools and and at the time I was I was being recruited in athletics and um, you know, had some opportunities elsewhere uh, that was coming together. I get, came on campus, I remember initially being extremely drawn. Uh, to Jim Collins uh, Im- immediately. Uh, he's one of those individuals, and I think anybody that gets a chance to meet him recognizes there's a level of character there, sincereness, authenticity, uh, that I, at that age, hadn't come across, nor somebody in that level being so personable, so gentle, so warm. Um, and and what was unique to me was as I was meeting more and more people, this warmth and this sort of loving presence and like joy and desire that I experienced for so many people. My initial response was, this has got to be fake. Like, <laughs> like there's no way this is real, you know, because in my experience, I just hadn't had that experience, you know, of authenticity from individuals. And uh, to be honest, I was overwhelmed um, by the warmth of others and genuine care that I, I received from others. Um, and the sort of non-agenda, I guess you would say, where, 
you know, a lot of places I was going, it was focusing primarily on my athletic ability. Um, and there was really no questions around that. It was more about who I was as an individual, what I desired, what I longed for. And, you know, really, and this is something I, I, I didn't follow up on in my talk that I actually kind of forgot to add in. I mentioned uh, in that speech that I had a, a one-on-one talk and walk with Adam Cesarek. And this talk was one where we literally sat down and just had this complete life talk, you know, kind of brother to brother is almost like, you know, we never knew each other. It was like we knew each other our, our whole lives. And we just dove in about where we came from, things that we struggled with and really deeply into our faith um, and areas where we long to grow as men. And I remember in the middle of the conversation, he just kind of looked over at me, goes, we need people like you here. <laughs> He's like, you know, this is what we want to be doing. This is what we're about. And here's, you know, and I had never, you know, at that time in my life, you know, a senior in high school, I had never considered my spiritual life or spiritual growth being a primary aspect of the college experience. Um, you know, at that time I was thinking about the athletics, what do they have to offer? I was thinking about what's the guy girl ratio? Like, what are my chances here at this school? You know, I was thinking about, um, you know, the academics, um, and, and not that. And I remember going home after my first experience, uh, and seriously praying, you know, and talking to God about, not just where he wanted me to go, but the man that I longed to be. Uh, coming from my particular background, um, I felt like I was up against a lot. Uh, there were a lot of chains that I sought to break. I knew that I had a, a longing, but I didn't know how to get there. And for me personally, I knew that the only way I could get there is to is to personally grow closer in my, in, in my faith. And, and I just remember thinking, all right, like, for me, this is more important. This aspect of faith is more important than anything in my life. I've never come across a community that was either as loving and embraceive, nor offered that opportunity. Um, maybe this is worth sacrificing everything else for. So I didn't really know much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had peace with that, and I thought, okay, um, Lord, this is on you. You better, you know, come through. And I just let go of the other opportunities and and, and came. Well, prior to that, how often you said you're being kind of asked these questions about, you know, about you and what you wanted, what you aspired to be. How much had you really thought about that prior to that visit? So interestingly, I mean, I've began thinking about it a little bit, but not intensely. It wasn't uh, a big question, you know, that I got asked uh, growing up. In fact, even if it was asked, it was weird. You know, it was, it was, I grew up in a culture where there would seem more like dreams than realities that you could pursue. And, uh, you know, there was also the question of finances for a long period of growing up. So I remember, uh, there's a time period where I was looking into the Marines, um, just because I didn't know if I'd really have any other kind of opportunities, um, for furthering my education and providing opportunities for myself. And uh, until, you know, I became an upperclassman and some schools started looking at me and there's some opportunities, I, I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew enough about myself that I needed to. I remember when I was a kid, I used to ask my mom a lot. I said, I used to ask her, 
is there any way that you can get paid to love people? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's so funny, though, because that's really never gone away for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at a young age thinking to myself, well, maybe the only way that I could really make a difference in people's lives and still be connected um, was, you know, in a public school setting where we never were introduced to things like religious studies or philosophy or, sure. um, for me was the medical field. So for a long time, high school, I got my CNA. Um, I got into a special program. So it was a health occupation program within our high school. Um, and when I came to Loris, I, I was a biochem pre-med major and I just figured, um, I knew that I wanted to work directly with people. I knew I wanted to help people. And at that time, when I was younger, that was the only avenue I could see for it. And mm-hmm. of course, that evolved. But sure. So, you make the decision. Mm-hmm. You kind of pray on it. You make the decision to come to Loris. What what what's your mindset then that first day? So after the visit, you you've kind of had this kind of an interesting experience just through your visit, which changed your mindset. Mm-hmm. Then you get on campus. I thought I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, at the time. You know, Loris is very different. The community, the culture here is very different than Aurora, Illinois. And um, the diversity is different, you know. So for a guy like me, I'm um, a multitude of different things. You know, my father is primarily African-American, Native American, my mother, Caucasian. Um, I remember coming on campus. And, of course, we got here a couple of weeks before the rest of the student populace because I was in the football program mm-hmm. and we were training for the season. And things were, you know, going really well on the football field. But I really wondered, I'm like, you know, did I make the right choice? Should I have come here? Should I have tried to go for a bigger school or, you know, bigger opportunities, this and this, and really struggled? I remember legitimately, you want to hear a quick, really awesome story that kind of got me to stay and dive in? So I was questioning, I remember coming back to my dorm, and I'm just going to be real with you, I had some tears. (laughs) (laughs) And I had moments where I was crying, you know, questioning, did I make the right choice? I didn't know anybody on campus. There was not a single tie from my past that was here and um, really trying to sort out and find out my way. And I remember praying literally God, and I never really asked this ever at this point in my life. I I just need a sign. This is where you want me to be. Just give me the smallest sign and I will, I'll dive all in. So when I was a little kid, I had a really close friend. He's a close friend of mine until this day. He was at my wedding. Um, and I was at his. His name's Eric Pierce. He's a beautiful man from Aurora. And uh, when we were real little, we would go over to each other's houses and stay the night, and we would dream about our future. And like a lot of little young athletes, we get pretty superstitious about like our things like our jersey numbers and whatnot. And when I was young, uh, we were talking about what our jersey numbers are going to be, you know, when we get to high school mm-hmm. and play for the varsity team. And... Um, <laughs> the number that I chose, uh, his was 11. The number that I chose was 37, and it had this significance. I was, I was kind of a different little boy, but I, I said, you know, 7 plus 3 is 10. I was born in October. Plus 7 is a part of the number. I was born October 7th, and then you've got three sevens, which is like three seven 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 seven, mm-hmm. which represents heaven. And I said, plus, you know, at the time, I, I couldn't think of any running backs that had made it famous yet. Um and so it had this sort of significance. Well, when we got to high school, uh, Eric and I made the varsity team or made the high school team. And um, sorry, when we were freshmen, uh, you know, made the team. And 
there was no 37 jersey. Like it was all torn up and tattered. So they, and they never get another one. So I got 22, thought I was cool because Hollister had 22 all over it. Mm -hmm. Went with it. I told Eric, our goal was to make it to college football and I'll, I'll have to earn it. You know, I'll earn it when I get to college. But, you know, years go by, your mind's in a whole different place. I wasn't even thinking about it anymore. It wasn't even in my mind. When it, even when I went to college, I wasn't thinking about it. And, you know, so I get to um, practice, right? We're in the middle of this two-week training. I'm struggling with if I made the right choice, praying about it. Coach Kleiman at the time pulls me and a guy, Nick, who's a sophomore, aside. It's right before the first varsity game. And he says, listen, um, you know, we think, you know, you're good. You guys are, are, we want you to start practicing with varsity. We want you to start prepping for, for varsity games. Um, he goes, but everybody on varsity already has your, your guys' jersey numbers. So you're going to have to fit you with new ones. There's only two available spots. And uh, he says 40 and 37. And he goes, Nick, you're a sophomore. You're older than you. You get to choose first. But as soon as he said that, my heart all of a sudden just kind of all came rushing back. <laughs> Nick goes, I'll take 40, you know, and I, remember, I still remember to this day sitting, you know, or standing next to him and him circling 37 saying, gee, I hope you're okay with 37 <laughs> and then walking off. And I just kind of took this moment where I took a deep breath. I looked up, I said, all right, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. This is it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it took a couple weeks, obviously, to, to find that, that, mm -hmm. that point that really draws you in. And then students come, classes re classes get going. Mm -hmm. What's that first year like for you? Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. And you know what's interesting is I truly from that moment, I had complete faith. Uh, you know, I said, God, I'm going to give this my all and get everything I can from it. And, you know, I started as soon as the, the school year began. I remember walking into Mass. This is my first Mass I've ever been to. I never had been to Catholic Mass. I wasn't raised Catholic, never seen a priest before immediately got involved. I remember having a course with, at the time, Father Johnson, who's now Bishop Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, and it was uh, an incredible course where we looked at the works of um, St. Therese of Lisieux, some of her letters, along with uh, Jean-Paul II, as well as an awesome, awesome uh, philosopher, Jean Vanier. And I had never, ever in my life come across writings like this, nor been in, in front of somebody as profound as, as Jonesen. And uh, was incredibly enamored, not just with him, but with the works of these individuals, because I remember very much like coming across the letters of Teresa, the, the writing of John Paul, who addressed questions that I had in my heart, but more, even more so, a lot of what they wrote spoke so clearly to my own experience, you know, because most of what I had experienced in faith and spiritual, my own spiritual life, I kept private, never shared with anybody and realized that it was a part of something much bigger. It, it, it really, um, you know, blew oxygen on the fire of my curiosity um, and sort of opened me up in a, in a whole big way, as well as countless, you know, friendships, relationships. Um, my first year, was beautiful, but it was also a lot of searching because I was a biochem pre-med major. And it led me into, you know, and I dove into that. But at the end of the year, I found myself, you know, I, I would <laughs> I would be reading, I started reading ahead in my classes so I could read the books that I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of these were in the realms of philosophy, were in the realms of these bigger questions around life, were in the realms of these questions around faith and, you know, the intersectionality of science and, and faith and all these other things. And why do we do what we do? And who are we as, as a human? And, and who am I? You know, this sort of internal existential sort of things. And we're in the middle of studying for a final, me and my friend Hans. And uh, <laughs> we... Uh, uh, who I'm still very close to, uh, close with. And he turns to me, he goes, Gee, how come, why don't you, have you ever considered studying this? Like, because this is what you're spending all your time, you know, in, and it seems like you're really passionate. My response was, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just wasn't even, had no idea that this could be an avenue. Again, I wasn't raised around it, wasn't raised with it. Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as that conversation was had, you know, I looked into it deeply and in, in, in my sophomore year, switch paths. Yeah, so your time here, obviously, your spiritual side, as you had just talked about, is really blossoming. It's really growing. Mm -hmm. What, and you mentioned Bishop Johnson, is there anybody else or any other groups or organizations that on campus that really helped foster that and kind of shepherd you along that path? 100%. Uh, yeah, Johnson was was obviously a major influence in my life. I, I took every single class, even if I didn't have to, that he offered. Um, I also have to thank, you know, the campus ministry. Um, and, and Debbie Gross was a part of when I entered uh, RCIA. She was a part of sort of leading that up. And the retreats that were put on, um, you know, Colleen Cool at the time, uh, Dave McDermott. Uh, they're just some incredible individuals uh, in that regard. All the professors uh, involved in, in, in um, you know, religious studies and theology and, and philosophy were incredible uh, influences for me. Um, you know, I, I also have to thank, uh, you know, Adam Ciceric, who is now Father Ciceric uh, in the Rockford Diocese, uh, and, and uh, Daniel Hertzner, who was a focused missionary and introduced me to my first experience of Bible study. It was an athletic, athlete's Bible study that I was able to get involved in. Um, and also, you know, uh, helped to sort of cultivate a little bit what it means to live discipleship, be a leader, you know, and, um, and foster, foster that opening for others. Um, so there's so many different avenues that sort of helped me along that way. Um, and I ended up entering into... Um, yeah, RCA my sophomore year, you know, I really began to look at this more deeply and start to question. And it wasn't with the certainty that I was going to enter the church and become Catholic, but it was with an understanding that as I, as I am uncovering more and more and more, I find myself growing more and more and more. And, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So obviously it, you did find, as you mentioned, you wanted a way to, how do I, get a job out of loving people mm -hmm. and it's kind of it's it's worked for you you kind of found that path here you've move on from from loris and you're now currently a theology teacher at wallach catholic high school here in dubuque mm -hmm. what's that experience been like for you looking back and knowing what you know when, not sure where you're going but here you are yeah you know what's fascinating is uh i never again i've never intended on teaching high school or theology in high school not even when i graduated and, and i don't want to get i will answer your question but it, my my journey even after loris i was at that point you know i had a beautiful 
very beautiful, very serious relationship while I was here. Um, and, you know, it, it was a time where we were both really seeking to grow in ourselves and, and had some big questions. One of my big ones for myself personally that I had to discern was this deep calling to uh, religious life, to the priesthood. And this ties back to your last question and leads to the one that you just asked. Um, I developed a very close relationship with the Dominican order and there had been a recent grad from, from, uh, Loris who had become Dominican, came back, gave a speech. Uh, his name is father Dominic. And, uh, and, uh, he had brought along with him this friar. His name was, is legitimately father wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) It's his birth name. Okay. Birth name, father wisdom, Andrew Carl wisdom. Uh, this beautiful man who is still a close, close, close spiritual friend, mentor till this day. Um, and so when I graduated, you know, my plan was to take a year um, and to discern. And then um, and I did that when I taught and I taught at Columbus for a year. But then I entered religious life. So and uh, I actually lived as a as a brother, as a monk in the Dominican order and novitiate, did a novitiate year with them in Colorado um, before discerning out. And it was a, a discernment that was so profound, so much growth. Um, it was I didn't leave because of anything bad. I left because of just a greater clarity of what I was being called to. Um, and to, you know, seek my best to, as you alluded to, um, to love in this world and to bring that to others, and uh, which led me back to the classroom again. So my experience um, teaching high school theology is so funny to me because when I have a lot of conversations with people uh, who ask what I do, they're, you know, and I tell them I teach high school, their eyes kind of open, like, oh my gosh, like, can't imagine doing, you know, <laughs> I love it. You know, I love it. And I think, you know, and as I talk to my students about, you know, when they get to know me, a lot of them refer to me as brother Guy or brother <laughs> Guy. And we can get into why or how that started. It's a mystery to me a little bit. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if it was because I was Dominican for a while, if it's because I'm half brother, or <laughs> if it's because I always refer to them as my brothers and sisters, and they just reciprocate it. But this endearing thing, and I try to communicate to them as effectively as I can, despite my faults, that my goal isn't to tell you what to think or believe, right? My f- number one goal, my number one priority is to love you as you are, you know, to love you as you are. That doesn't, regardless of what you did last weekend, regardless of if you think, you know, Everything that, you know, we're, I'm ta- getting into around Jesus is, is crap or not, regardless of anything, where you're coming from. My, my job is to love you, number one. And number two, my job is to introduce you uh, to what not just my understanding is, but what our, our, our faith professes, this revelation of what love really is in a world uh, that tends to get quite confused about the, mm-hmm. the, the subject. Um, and we're going to do this in a number of ways, you know. But my, go- my hope is that regardless you find it beneficial, regardless, you find it challenging. Um, and regardless, um, you know, you end up, you end up, uh, you know, better for it. And worst case scenario, um, you at least know that there is one individual that really cared about you. Well, and it's, it's interesting to listen, listen to you describe it that way, because it very much echoes how you described your spiritual experience here at Loris. Mm-hmm. And that so very much that really helped shape 
your approach with your with your students at this point. Hundred percent, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. So. You've stayed connected with Loris since you graduated. Mm-hmm. You've uh, earned the Distinguished Alumni Award a couple of years ago. Yeah. And then President Collins reaches out and asks you to give the commencement speech for mm-hmm. the class of 2021. What's going through your head as you're on the phone with President Collins? This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, ask someone else. Um, you know, I, as I said at the start of my speech, I legitimately told him, I said, I'm not old enough. I haven't done enough. I said, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of threw everything out there. And, um, of course, he shot it down and put me in my place. <laughs> I have a tendency to, uh, you know, this is one of my many faults, but I always have a way of uh, kind of in my own head um, cutting myself short and, and uh, not seeing exactly what everyone else sees, you know. I, I think uh, my humility. Well, I tried, I try to grow in that within a, from a positive virtue. I think had its beginning out of uh, probably a broken humility, you know. Um, and uh, so yeah, my first initial thoughts was, uh, you know, and then when it sat in, I just found myself sort of shaking um, and nervous. Giving a commencement speech for me was never something I ever dreamed of. It was never something I imagined. It was, it wasn't something that I was working towards or looking for. Um, and so it was quite overwhelming, but really profoundly, um, I had just an overwhelming feeling of honor and, um, and joy at the opportunity, even though I was scared out of my mind <laughs> sure. so, so, so using that fear how did that translate then into the speech what was the process to go back and and create this speech yeah the a great question um the fear translated into taking it seriously which translated into having a very serious talk with my wife um honey I'm going to be having to take some time on this, you know? So, you know, my typical schedule is going to look a little different, uh, especially as we approach the date. And, um, but her, she was very gracious and supportive. And, uh, I did a a process of going back through things that I had journaled about over the years that I had written. And I kind of went back in time and I, I went back to things that I had written when I was a student here. Um, an article that I'd written for uh, the Lorian when I was here, all the way to just jogging th- these thoughts and these memories, trying to stoke and put myself in the in the seat of these students uh, who graduated emotionally, psychologically, spiritually speaking, and and then I began to thread together, um, you know, what are some of the most important common messages that I've found myself gravitating towards that I've learned from, um, that I continue to teach from, that are authentic, not just to my story, but can relate to almost anyone. Mm. Because if I'm going to, you know, I, the way I looked at it, if I'm going to, to do this speech, I just, I don't want I don't want it to just be uh, simple characters for success. I don't want it to be, it's got to be authentic to who I am. And I, my hope would be that it can resonate and connect with the common experience of those students, but really anybody who, who's listening. Um, that's kind of where it began. And mm-hmm. then I began to sort of structure it, you know, trying to find ways to, number one, connect with them, number two, relate to their experiences, um, and then number three, help set it up 
you know, for, for, you know, three main criteria that I think I, and I hope and I pray uh, will resonate with them. Well, and I, I think your approach worked. Uh, I mean, I thought it was a brilliant speech, especially along the lines of with that being your goal, I thought you really hit all the, checked all the boxes you were hoping to check. So appreciate that so much. That's really kind. Yeah. So you've had a, not quite a week to, mm-hmm. to reflect on what that, what that whole experience has went like as you, as you think about it. What was it? How was it to give this speech and just to be part of that ceremony? It's a great question and really hard for me to answer, mm-hmm. you know, to put into words, uh, especially when I look back at where I began to being so fortunate to stand on that stage and to share some words, to share some thoughts, to share a piece of who I am um, for the sake of, of others. Uh, it was... Uh, surreal in some ways but um it's incredibly beautiful mm-hmm. you know uh it was incredibly beautiful it's hard to wrap words around it other than that you know for me at least you know i usually am really good with words <laughs> <laughs> well and i think that that uh, really kind of sells how meaningful it really was for you and i, I mm-hmm. appreciate and it not everything's an easy answer especially taking something so emotional and something so heartfelt and being able to put it into words is it's not a, it's not always an easy thing so yeah. yeah the effort alone i appreciate i appreciate you you trying to trying to convey that but and i think you did just and sometimes those pauses really sell it because yeah. it really convinced con- conveys how how much it means to you so thank you um, i hope so I yeah hope so yeah well thank you thank you so much for anybody listening uh, if you, in case you didn't miss it or you want to catch it again, uh, you can find the full commencement ceremony, including Nathaniel's speech, at the daily at the Loris Daily website at daily.loris.edu. So we hope you'll check it out, and actually you'll find uh, find a link to that in the the show notes. So make sure you, you check it out and, and catch his whole his entire speech. It really is tremendous. So Nathaniel, thank you so much for taking the time chatting with me, and again, a fantastic job on your speech. Thank you equally the same. You're very, very kind for saying so, and I appreciate so much just the time and the opportunity to sit down with you face-to-face and, and, and talk. So yeah. thanks, thanks again. All right, well, thank you. And thank you to our producer, Trent Hanselman, and thank you to everyone who listened into our discussion. For more podcasts as well as Loris news and features, be sure to visit the Loris Daily website at daily.loris.edu. And while you're there, you can sign up for email notifications so you don't miss out on any of the Loris happenings. We hope you'll join us next time for another Dewhawk Digest. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other, and go Dewhawks. Hawks.